That's where my wife is this morning, and uh, it's night there where she is. And uh, I make trips a couple times a year usually back to the States to preach Bible conferences, to visit my grandkids. I don't visit my kids, but I visit my grandkids, and I got to do that last week. That was a great blessing. My kids are doing very well in the Lord and uh, raising my grandkids right, which is a great blessing. And uh, got to see them, got to have a couple evenings last week over in Ohio, couple evenings with those two families together, and we do a lot of music things together. My kids uh, and my grandkids are learning all kinds of instruments. One of my oldest granddaughter, 18, she, uh, she plays lots of things, but her latest thing is a grand harp, you know, and she's learning how to do that very well, and we get together, and, and we learn new hymns. I search for new hymns a lot. There's a wealth of hymns in English, a wealth, I mean thousands that have been written in the last hundred years, and they are online now, and they're available, and so uh, I find new ones, and I recommend new ones to churches through our ministry, and then our, with our kids, we got to sit down and learn some really nice hymns this week. It was a blessing, and we, got, we did a lot of things. Anyway, I'm here in... Virginia. Sometimes I don't know where I am. <laughs> but I am in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, heart of the old South. I grew up in Florida, and I grew up in the South, was educated in the South, in Tennessee, where I met my wife, although she's from Alaska, and she thinks she's a northerner, <laughs> but they really had nothing to do with that thing. <laughs> Our subject this week is the author's personal that's not the subject. Why we hold to the King James Bible, but our subject, this section, is the author's personal testimony about the Bible version issue. And we have our textbooks, and as we said in the last session, uh, we would urge you to take this seriously and focus your attention, and, uh, and uh, we're in Bible college this week. And I'm thankful for the pastor willing to do this kind of thing, to educate his people, very important, very rare. I was not trained formally in the defense of the King James Bible in any sense. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Florida, and uh, like we all did at about age 11, I came down front during a vacation Bible school that summer, and I professed Christ as my Savior. I got baptized, and I became a church member. And I was just as lost as I had ever been. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Can a child be saved? Yes, if he's old enough to be saved. But if he is saved, he's saved. Not two plans of salvation for children and then for adults. Of course, they are children, but there's going to be a real change especially in the attitude toward authority, in the attitude toward this book, there's going to be a new attitude toward a lot of things. And in my case, none of that was true. In fact, it was not long after that, as I reached my teenage years, uh, it was a dramatic turn toward the world, very quickly. And music was the heart and soul of it. My parents did not allow us to uh, have rock and roll in the home, and, uh, but that was okay. The deacon's son was my buddy, 
and uh, he had a little 45 RPM rock, uh, record player. I know a lot of you don't know it, but a lot of you are older and you do. And it was the dawn of portability of music. And he had one out in the barn. And his dad didn't care what he listened to. So I got it. I can't. I just, it was so amazing to me, that music, and what it did to me, and how it uh, stirred me up, but not for good, for rebellion. And I uh, started rebelling against my dad, and I left as soon as I could, left church, and uh, went to where my heart already was, which was the world. And then I got drafted in the Army. I um, went to Vietnam. Came back from there, started using drugs in Vietnam. That's where I started using marijuana. I was in a military police unit in Tonsonut Air Base, right by Saigon. And, uh, and uh, our job was to keep drugs from being shipped out of the country. And uh, this, is the, this is 1971, and that's when the Vietnam thing, everybody over there knew it was finished. There's no winning this thing. It's just, let's stay alive. And that's when the drug became a big problem in Vietnam. It was not that way earlier in the 60s. And I was right in the middle of that drug thing. So I came back to the States. I had lost all of my goals. I had wanted to go back, finish college thing. I lost all of that and just went down to Hollywood, Florida, built a little hippie pad and a couple of my raunchy buddies. I got arrested. And that scared me. I was selling drugs a little bit for a living and just a nut and uh, got arrested. That scared me. And so I decided I was going to go to South America. Me and my buddies were going to go to South America on bicycles. Without any preparation or training, we bought bicycles and we sold things we had and bought equipment. We were well equipped, but not in any shape to do that. So we headed out once. One morning, uh, from Lakeland, Florida, we're headed to South America, the three of us. And we got to Dade City that evening. It was only 20 miles. But by then, we had decided that's not the way to travel. <laughs> so we put the bicycles on a Greyhound bus. That's the way to ride a bicycle. And ended up in New Orleans. Sold it and then started hitchhiking. That began my hitchhiking days. Went all the way out to California, came back. Got, it, got involved in Hinduism, and I was in a mess. And summer of 1973, I was driving my car. I was not hitchhiking at that time. I was driving my car out of Hollywood, Florida, and I saw this man with a bicycle, riding a bicycle with a big pack. Now, that's what I had wanted to do, and I thought, this is interesting. I'll stop. And I said, you know, where are you going? I'm going to Mexico. I said, oh. I said I'll give you a ride as far as I'm going, Lakeland, Florida, 200 miles up the road. He said, great, let's go. And so we started talking about the Bible. And he pulled a little Bible out of his pocket, pocket Bible, and he was a good Christian, and he knew his Bible very well. And, uh, and I was full of all kinds of New Age stuff and Hindu stuff and who knows what. And so I started giving him my opinions, religious opinions about everything. And I said, I believe in following your heart. I'm following my heart. He said, well, that's, that won't work. Why not? Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I said, the Bible says that. 
I was a Baptist, but I didn't know anything about Bible. He said, it did. he showed it to me, and it, was, it went on like that. I would tell him, I believe in reincarnation. He said, but the Bible says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after death, the judgment. And he would show me those verses, and he would re- kindly, patiently refute what I was thinking. And I, and I went to Mexico with him. I got so interested in that conversation for a while. And then I decided I didn't want to be with him because he was contradicting everything I believed. And at that time, I did not believe the Bible at all. And so he said, well, I'm going to go on down into Mexico. where We were just a little ways into Mexico in Brownsville, Texas, and uh, across Brownsville, Texas. And he said, I'm, I'm going to go on. I said, well, I'm going back to Florida. And he said, well, can I go with you? And I didn't want him to go with me. But I, I, I didn't say no. So we went back to Florida. But we, he was kind of quiet, and I was tired of it. And back home, my mom and dad were praying. And back home, my grand, godly grandmother was praying. Prayer warrior. Fasting and prayer, she understood that. They were praying for me. And uh, so we got back to Daytona Beach, Florida. Got a motel room to get cleaned up. The final night together. And God saved me. And I mean 100% saved me. I was uh, disputing the Bible one day and the next day. And ever since, I've been a Bible, 50 years, I've been a 100% Bible believer. And it was salvation. Salvation is a big thing. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away and so don't, don't look for anything less than a new creature in your kids or in yourself. And so I went to Bible college a year later, and I took a course in, and by the way, I want you to look at two verses with me. The man that led me to Christ gave, gave me a whole Bible education in that four days. I don't remember much of it, but I remember two verses, actually four, but these two, Acts 17, 11. And 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Acts 17.11, because the whole issue was, what is the authority? That, that was our conversation. What's the authority? I'm trusting my heart. I'm, you know, this, that, and the other. Man's writings. What's the authority? And he kept saying, the Bible. Acts 17.11, and so he taught me to test everything by the Bible. And when I got saved... That was my beginning Christian mindset. The Bible's the Word of God. The Bible's the infallible Word of God. I'm going to test everything by it so I won't be deceived. That man gave me that thinking, and he gave me these two verses, which I had already memorized by the time I was saved, just spending that time with him. Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received, received the word with all readiness of mind. They received it. And searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And so, a te- biblical testing mindset is what those Bereans were commended for. Uh, and, that, and he was a Pentecostal man. And he gave me that kind of thinking. The night I got saved, he prayed that I would speak in tongues. About scared me to death. 
I didn't know what tongues was all about. And, uh, and I've never seen that man since. His name was Ron Walker, and he was just traveling around on a bicycle preaching. And the last I saw him, he's heading out from Hollywood, Florida, Mexico. I've never heard of him since. But he taught me to test everything by the Bible. And that is, that is a very important thing. And you can't test anything by the Bible unless you know the Bible. If you've been saved sometime and you're still not very skillful in the Bible, you're in great danger today. You're just depending on a man, what my preacher says. You're in danger. I don't want to be in danger. I know there are dangers. I know there is a devil. I know that there is false teaching. I know we lived at the end of the church age, and I know about apostasy, and I don't want to be deceived. I was deceived. I believed 100% what I believed before I was saved. I believed it, but I was deceived, and I don't want to be deceived again. One time I went to Las Vegas, and I was, wanting to, I was praying for a guitar, and I... Uh, a guitar, so I could sing rock and roll songs, so I could sing uh, My Sweet Lord, which was George Harrison's song to uh, Hindu God. And that's what I, where I was, and I was praying. I was a man of prayer for a guitar. And I went to Las Vegas, and I won. I think it was $70. And I thought, answer the prayer. And I bought a guitar, and I started trying to learn it to play my sweet Lord, to a Hindu God. Who answered that prayer? The devil. If anybody. But the devil. And I never want to be deceived again. And Christianity, after I got saved, I didn't know where to go to church. All the churches and all the doctrines and where do you go? And here, test everything by the Bible. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, this was the other verse. Very similar. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things. This is a pretty short verse, easy to memorize. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So we are supposed to test everything by the word of God, not by our opinions, by what we've seen in some other church, by the word of God. That is the sole authority for faith and practice. And that man that led me to Christ taught me that, and I started my Christian life out like that. And when I started looking for a church, that was what I was going to do. Find a church that believes the Bible, test the churches by the Bible. And I thank God for that. Fifty years later, I have the same principle. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. You've got to understand the doctrine of apostasy. It is a clearly taught doctrine in the Bible, and uh, that, that there's going to be a great turning away from the truth among professing Christians. They will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 summarizes it, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, heaps of teachers, that's where we live today, heaps of teachers, uh, the internet is full of them. Millions of them teaching all kinds of things. And that's where we live. And that was prophesied in the Bible 2,000 years ago. That it would happen. 
that the church in throughout the church age, the apostasy, the turning away, would increase. 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't want to be deceived. So, got to know this book. I've got to know what this book is. Is it truly the Word of God? And then I've got to make this the book of my life. I went to Bible college and went there, Tennessee Temple, took all the courses I could get. And uh, took a course in Greek. We were required to use the United Bible Society's Greek New Testament, third edition. But right after I got saved, I knew nothing about Bible verses. The man that led me to Christ bought me a big King James Bible as we were traveling. Big old huge thing. No reference, nothing, just Bible. And a Strong's Concordance. That was the library I had starting my Christian life out. Strong's Concordance, Big King James Bible. And I wore out, literally, that Strong's Concordance that first year, learning the Word, studying the Bible. I don't want to be deceived. Therefore, I've got to, I've got to learn the Bible. I've got to know the Bible. And if you don't know the words, you don't know the Bible. And so I started out, but one day I decided I, I wanted one of the new versions. And I went down to the Southern Baptist Bookstore at that time on Main Street in Lakeland, Florida, and uh, went into the bookstore, talked to the lady behind the counter, and I said, I, I want one of the modern versions, so easier to read for me. She said, I don't recommend it. That was a long time ago. We're talking about 1973. I don't recommend it. Well, they do recommend it today. And she said, I, but I was persistent. I really want something easier to read. She said, well... I guess the easiest to read would be the today's English version. Good news for modern man. I said, well, give me one of those. So I took it on, and I read right through it, that New Testament. Just, I'm a fast reader. I just read through it. And I thought, that's not the Word of God. They say it reads like the morning newspaper. Yeah, but I don't read the morning newspaper twice. It's not the Word of God. And so I went on, but I didn't understand. I just understand I, that's not the Word. And I went to Bible college. Oh, I got a Dixon Analytical Study Bible someone recommended. And that particular study Bible, all through, out, it has, uh, I think it was brackets, but it, it, was, it said the better readings, and it was full of those. But I, I didn't pay any attention to them. Mostly I just skipped over them. Didn't know anything about this issue. Went to Bible college, got that uh, 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 Greek New Testament, still didn't know anything about the issue. Came across some Brookmanites at uh, Bible college. They were causing a lot of trouble. And, uh, but still, I didn't know anything about the issue. And so God called me to be a missionary. My wife was a missionary in Nepal before we were married. I, uh, I got saved in 73. In 74, I went to Bible college. By that time, I was 24. And by that time, my wife had already finished Bible college, and she believed that God called her to be a missionary to Nepal. They, they were studying, and they had a course on missions at Bible college, Tennessee Temple, and she believed that God spoke directly to her heart that that's where she's supposed to go. But the problem was it was totally closed, and the only way you could go there as a missionary at that particular time was medical work. 
So she became a nurse just so she could go to Nepal because she believed that's where God called her. And, by the, and so by the time I got to Tennessee Temple at age 24, she was finished with all that. We're the same age. And she was just on the verge of leaving Chattanooga to go to Nepal to be a missionary nurse. Mainly she wanted to be just a missionary. But she's the most amazing person. She's the most amazing soul winner I've ever met. And I'm not talking about one, two, three stuff. I'm talking about loving people to Christ. And everywhere she goes, people get saved. That was her plan. And uh, while she was in Chattanooga, while she was in Bible college in Erlanger Hospital and her medical, she had, a, she had attended this little church in Tracy City, Tennessee. Real, true hillbillies. And when I got to Tennessee Temple, I went up there with a, with a buddy to see if I might want to work up there during my college years. And that Sunday morning, I met Linda for the first time. And I found out she's going to Nepal. She, uh, and, and that was the end of my interest because I didn't have any interest in Nepal. And therefore, not really any interest in her. And we got to know each other for about six weeks, just briefly riding up to the chapel and things. And uh, she left and went to Nepal. And I stayed there at Tennessee Temple. And I started writing to her. And, uh, and I started writing to her. And a year later, I wrote and asked her to marry me. And I said in that letter, I'm, I'm sure God wants us to get married. But I am sure God doesn't want us to go to Nepal. And, uh, and so that was the terms. That was my terms. It wasn't God's terms. And it wasn't her terms either. We got married. She came back to the States. We got married. And in 1979, we went to Nepal together as missionaries. And so we wanted to, one thing we wanted to do was make a concordance in the Nepali Bible. They didn't have a concordance. A concordance is a magnificent Bible study tool. And as we started talking with pastors there at that time, and uh, even the head of the Bible Society, Nepal Bible Society, it was clear that that particular, that that existing Nepali Bible was not good enough to base a concordance on. They needed a new Bible. And that's when I began to study the Bible version issue for myself and try to figure this thing out. And that's when I began corresponding with men like David Otis Fuller, and some men that were still alive then or now dead that were major voices in defense of the King James Bible. And I began to get a serious education in that issue. And God led me to the position that I had today. But it's not just I use the King James Bible because the man that led me to Christ gave me a King James Bible because my godly grandmother used the King James Bible. I know why I use the King James Bible. And I'm informed and, and, and I have a passion to help God's people in this matter. A passion. And so, God helped me to come to this position. It is fundamental. Absolutely fundamental. But you know what's more fundamental? Salvation. Salvation. It is the fundamental of fundamentals. No church can ever, ever rest on its laurels. There's no such thing as a church that's solid. 
because everything's always changing. People are always changing. Their lives are always changing. Their families are always changing. People are coming. People are going. Children are growing up. And every one of those children must be born again. Must be born again. You can sit here this morning in, in the comfort of your family. They're Christians. In this church, we're Christians. And you might not be saved. And if, 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 if Christ were to come right now, and he could, you would be left behind. The fundamental of fundamentals is salvation. And that's, that's the fundamental to us and to our ministry in Nepal. We're working a lot these days with druggy type guys, like I was. And uh, young men that have gotten really messed up with drugs in Nepal, not covered with tattoos, and working with them. And they, and they have to agree, we don't have any lockdown ministry. There's no, there's no jail. They, a young man has to be willing to come and live with our Bible college graduates and basically to live in a hostel with Bible college graduates and live under the rules and stay there of his own accord. And what we do is immerse them in the Word of God. And they have to agree to stay two months. Some of them don't. But those that do invariably get saved by being immersed in the Word of God. And we're seeing dramatic conversions, powerful conversions, We've got to see conversions. That's God's first business. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's his first business. That's his heartbeat. Nothing of the other things matter until you're saved. You won't care about the Bible until you're saved. This kind of thing won't really excite you until you're saved. That's what makes all the difference. And that's what we've got to do in our homes. We've got to fill our homes up with the Word of God. Fill them up with the Word of God. Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God, it is powerful. One of the reasons we know that this absolutely is the infallible Word of God is its power. It's life-changing power. I, when I met the man that led me to Christ, I didn't believe the Bible. I was absolutely opposed to the Bible. That's how far I had gone from Sunday school. One time I was hitchhiking, and I was in Panama City, Florida. And I, I walked down by the Gulf of Mexico, loved the ocean, grew up around it. And I was walking along on the sidewalk there, and I was thinking to go out on a little dock there in the water and sit down for a while. And I saw a box of Bibles on the sidewalk, a box of Gideon Bibles. I looked around. There's, no, there's nobody there, no store. A box of Gideon Bibles. So I, I got one. And I walked down to that little dock, and I sat down, and I thought, you know, it's been a long time since I've ever opened the Bible. And so I think I'll just, you know, open it up. And I did that. In a real popular Bible study, I just flipped it open. And I flipped it open to Mark chapter 9, just so happens. You know what's in Mark chapter 9? It's a red-hot sermon on hell. 
<laughs> One of Jesus' red-hot sermons on hell. If your, if your church doesn't preach red-hot sermons on hell, it's not a biblical church. And people say, well, Jesus was just a buddy with sinners. He was a friend of sinners, the friend of sinners, but when he went to parties, he preached on hell, and I, that will mess up any party. Absolutely. And so I, I flipped it open in Mark chapter 9, and three times here, Jesus said, where their worm dieth, it says, whatsoever thy hand offend thee, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. My hand. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Sounds like there's fire in hell, doesn't it? Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Sounds like there's fire in hell. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. My foot, it is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Sounds like there's fire there, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He's not finished. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Sounds like there's fire there. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I read that. I flipped it open to that. Exactly what I needed. But I said, I don't, to myself, I don't agree with that. What about people that's never heard? And all that kind of thing. I I did not agree with the Bible. I didn't agree with the Bible. Isn't that stupid? Who am I? I don't know anything. I've never died and come back. I don't know anything. And yet, I didn't agree with the Bible. And that's the condition I was in when I met that godly man that led me to Christ. I did not believe the Bible. I mean, I really did not believe the Bible. And it was the Bible that saved me. The book I didn't agree with. He just quoted Scripture. We've got to know the Scripture. I was glad to see the, 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 the memory verse program you have. We've got to know the Scripture. And what if they don't believe it? Just give it to them. Just give it to them. That's what God's going to use. Not your arguments and all your... It's the Word of God. But what if they don't believe it? Just give it to them. What if my kids don't believe it? Just give it to them. What if those druggies we're working with don't believe it? Just give it to them. And it works. It's powerful. It is so powerful. We need to fill our lives up with this book. Not just know uh, where it came from in its history like this week, but fill our lives up with it. I have a passion for young people, for young people to know how to study the Bible. I have a passion for that. Ever since I've had grandkids, I've had a growing passion for young people. And, uh, and then, you know, my grandkids are becoming teenagers, and this growing passion that each one of them, every single one of them, will be a serious Bible student, will know how, know how to it. And you, this is a big book. It's an old book. The earliest part of it is 2,000 years old. There's nothing new about this book. It's not a modern book. Got to learn it. Got to study. 
And the more you understand how to study the Bible, how to understand the, the Bible, how to understand books, how to interpret a passage, how to understand words, the more exciting it gets. The geography. I teach my grandkids. I, on one of the trips last year, I think, I taught them that week a course on introduction to Bible geography. And I bought them a, a couple of my favorite uh, uh, atlases, Bible atlases, for my grandkids, 13, 14, 17, 18, for my grandkids. Because I want them to be a serious Bible student, and you, you can't be unless you learn these things. That's a passion that I have. So that our churches will be much stronger than I think they ever have been. I believe we can have churches today that are stronger than any churches we've had in my lifetime. That's how positive-minded I am. During COVID, I saw, living in Nepal, lockdown. We were locked in our house for months. I mean locked in the house. The international airport was closed for, I think, a year. It was closed. The country was just shut down. The United Nations taught us that. And they know what they're doing. But they, that's where we were. And I had a desire that we would come out of that stronger than ever as a church. We did. I'm very positive-minded about churches these days. So I was excited to come here. And a church that wants to educate people, that's a different kind of church with some serious education and have the have the teenagers in the Sunday school with this kind of thing and encourage the teenagers to get their own textbook. That's exciting to me. One verse that God gave me in conclusion during COVID was Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. You know that verse? You know what the Great Commission is? This is a missionary church. This is planted as a missionary church. You support missionaries. You Meet missionaries. I never met a missionary growing up. Never met a missionary. Only missionaries knew about were dead. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus, um, well, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's a big job. That's a lot of stuff. Lo, here's the promise. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's aeon in Greek. That's age, the end of the age. God is working out his great plans in ages, ever since the creation and those ages go on into eternity. There's ages upon ages. That's the word eternal in Greek. Ages upon ages. And uh, Jesus said, in regard to this age, the church age, which will end with the rapture, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of it. And that's where we are. And that people look around and say, well, everything's going to pot. America's going to pot. All the churches are going to pot. It's just all going to pot. And so they're just very discouraged and disheartened and like giving up. We don't need to do that. Christ said in the context of a church that taking the Great Commission seriously right down at the end of the age, I'm with you. 
And we're experiencing that in the fall. And that's my passion. And for that, we've got to do some very serious Bible teaching. But not just that. Teaching the people to interpret the Bible for themselves. I was in a church in Kansas last stop, and the, they had a Bible institute for years, three-year program. And I met some of the graduates of that Bible institute in that church, and none of them knew how to study the Bible. They learned facts, but they did not learn how to study the Bible for themselves. Yeah, this is the preserve, infallible preserved Word of God. It is. We're going to look at that this week. It is. There is no doubt about it. But what are we going to do with it? God bless you, Pastor.